Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. That oftentimes when it comes to uh, looking, evaluating ourselves or evaluating something, uh, that we oftentimes look at strengths and weaknesses. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Strengths and weaknesses. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And oftentimes we love to, to, to highlight our strengths and we like to try to figure out ways to hide our weaknesses, those areas that make us look vulnerable, those areas that kind of we look at and we go, oh, I don't really like that about myself. I'd rather focus on my strengths. So I'd like to take what, you know, one of those assessments, those strength finder assessments. Let me focus on my strengths. What are my strengths? We're, we're in the process right now of interviewing youth pastor candidates, and I just ask for your continued prayers uh, for that process as we continue just to, to, to seek the Lord for who he has next for us to bring to be a part of our ministry team here at PAG. But oftentimes in interviews, that's one of the questions that you, you ask. So what do you see as you evaluate yourself? What would you say are your strengths and your weaknesses? You know, I find it interesting. It, 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 it's easy for people to talk about, you know, the different things that they're strong in. Oh, I did this here. I'm pretty good at this. I, 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 I like this. I, I found that I do success here. My weaknesses, hmm, what do I want to let you know? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes we, we struggle with the area of weaknesses, but sometimes, you know, uh, it, it is through our weaknesses, according to Scripture, it's in our weaknesses that, that, that God is glorified and that we see His strength at work in our lives. Sometimes some of those weaknesses are things that come beyond our control. There are situations or circumstances that come that, that happen to us, things that, that create a weakness in us, circumstances that happen that, that are just beyond our control and make us feel weak. An example of this is at six weeks old, how many have heard the name Fanny Crosby before? Fanny Crosby. At six weeks old, Fanny Crosby, you may not realize this or know this, but she developed an inflammation of her eyes and, uh, and she caught a cold and, and so her eyes began to get inflamed. Well, at that time, they had some home remedies and there was a home remedy involving mustard uh, politises that were applied to treat the discharges. And, uh, and that procedure actually caused her blindness by damaging her optic nerve. Now, that was something outside of her control, but now it impacted her vision and her sight and created a weakness in her. And yet, it also, in this blindness, Fanny developed uh, a, a very descriptive ability through her grandmother's teachings. And uh, she also learned to memorize the Bible with the help of someone by the name of Mrs. Hawkeye. And she would memorize five chapters of the Bible a week. How many would like to memorize five chapters of the Bible a week? So, so in this perceived weakness, all of a sudden she, she begins to develop these descriptive things. She begins to see things internally. She can't see them externally, but through the art of description, she gets very creative and, and she begins to memorize the Bible and God begins to work inside of her heart and she later became an American missionary worker, a poet, a lyricist, and a composer. In fact, she's known as one of the most prolific hymnists in the history of the church. 
She went on to write over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs with over 100 million copies being printed. How many have ever heard the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Yeah, that's one of Fanny's. So when we sing that, what was a perceived weakness turned into something that God used and glorified and blessed the church and blessed many people through. You see, what could have been an amazing tragedy leading to weakness ended up leading to great ministry and great purpose because God loves to use areas of weakness where his strength comes through and his glory is revealed. Amen? So today we're going to finish our series that we've been in in 2 Corinthians called Strength in Weakness. And we're going to look at a familiar passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The writer, again, of 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. He's planted this church in Corinth where he stayed there 18 months after planting the church before moving on to Ephesus. And after moving on to Ephesus, he had heard that there were others who had swooped in. They called themselves super apostles. They had come in behind and they began to discredit the ministry of of the Apostle Paul. They also began to introduce other areas of error within Scripture. And coupled with the Las Vegas type of culture that the Corinthian city, the city of Corinth was, there was great immorality, sexual immorality and and, and all kinds of, of different things that had worked themselves into the church as well as a very high intensity of spiritual gifts. And so Paul hears about it, and he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians to try to correct some of these errors in doctrine. The problem was is that they had received others who had come into the church, other uh, uh, super apostles, so to speak. They were discrediting the message of Paul, and it created quite a tumultuous relationship with him. And so he spends a lot of time defending his apostleship and defending his authority and defending his message. And with that came not only a a painful visit, but he describes it also as a severe letter trying to bring correction and error to a church that he had planted so that the work and the labor that he did was not in vain. And after some time in sending Timothy and Titus and others back, God began to work in the hearts of the people. And so 2 Corinthians is a letter where Paul opens up his heart. It's one of the most personal letters that Paul writes to any church because he gets deep down and he begins to open up his heart to them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to open up and he shares some very real personal struggles. Sometimes when we look at the Apostle Paul, we think of him as a super apostle. But Paul had some struggles. Paul had his own struggles. Paul had his own battles. He had his own weaknesses. And in this passage, Paul opens up with a personal struggle. He, he follows it up by the prayers that he prayed, and then we get to see the response of God. And through this passage, we learn, and we'll close today by learning how to find strength in weakness. How do we find strength in weakness? Let's look at this popular passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to begin in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations, he's referring to what he wrote about earlier in this chapter, these wonderful revelations being caught up into the third heaven and those kind of things from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. 
Now again, this is one of the most popular passages of Scripture that, is, that, that we read about, that we talk about within the church. How many have heard about Paul's thorn in the flesh before? It's nothing new, right? This isn't anything new. So don't close up your heart because I do think that there are some things that we can take away today that might have a little bit of a different angle that maybe might encourage your soul today if you've been battling a thorn of your own in the flesh, whatever that might be. <laughs> so, so this thorn in the flesh, what does it mean? Who gave it to him? I think that's one of the things that that, that as I was reading through this time, through this passage, one of the things that just really captured my attention was that, that he says that, that, I, that so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Who? Who gave Paul the thorn in his flesh? Who, who is he talking about? Are these super apostles that had worked their way into the Corinthians? Is it other persecutions? Where did this thorn in the flesh come from? We don't, what, what, what is this and who gave it to him? And, and, and as we begin to look at the context, we find out that, that Paul is actually referring and saying that God is the one who had given him the thorn in the flesh. Wait a minute. I don't know about you, but what, God, why would you give thorns? Why do, you, why do you allow trouble? I think that's one of the problems that I have when I read the book of Job. If, if you read the book of Job, the book of Job will, will challenge you theologically in terms of your view of who God is. When you look at the book of Job, you, you find that, that, that here's Job, who the Bible describes as, as doing the right thing, a, a righteous man doing the right thing, and yet there is Satan who, who finds his way somehow in the presence of God. How, how does that come? Well, I guess when I go to the heavens, you are there, and I go to make my bed down in the depths, you are there, right? That's Psalm 139. Okay, you all are just, did you go to sleep today? Are you with me? Did you go to have trouble sleeping last night? Stay with me. So, so, so you have this, and, 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 he, and Satan kind of there, and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And you're like, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to protect me? Right? God, if I'm, if I'm serving you, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I've given my life to you, you're supposed to protect me from thorns. You're supposed to keep the thorns away. You're supposed to protect me from harm. I got to thinking about it. How many of you like the movie Finding Nemo? Anybody remember that old movie Finding Nemo? If you, if you don't know what Finding Nemo is, it is a Disney film. I don't care how you feel about Disney films, whatever. But, but Finding Nemo is just kind of this heartfelt story. And, and there's this family of, of clownfish. Clownfish. Yeah, it's, it's fiction, clownfish. And Marlin is the father clownfish. And his, he has his wife, Coral. And they have their eggs. And then all of a sudden... In a barracuda attack in the beginning of the movie, uh, uh, coral is killed. All of the eggs are devoured except for one that's got a little crack. And, and Marlin keeps this little egg and it grows up and, and, and it develops into this clownfish with a short little fin on one side called Nemo. And if you know anything about the beginning of the story, Marlin is going around doing everything he can to protect little Nemo from any danger. He, he, is, he doesn't let him go to school on time. And, and he, you're, you're too young to go to school. We're not going to let you go to school. Oh, don't go here. Don't go there. And he just is hovering. And, and you get this picture of, of this father who's just hovering, trying to, to find all this protection and teaching his son how to slip out of the anemone and come back in. Slip out of the anemone and come back in. Looking for danger. Don't go there. Don't go here. Don't go there. Can I be honest with you? God is not Marlin. God's not Marlin. God is not going to just protect you. 
He, he's not cushioning you. He lets us experience things in this world. He lets us go through things. And sometimes he even allows them and introduces them in our lives. Does that mess with you a little bit? But yet, as a loving father, he's always there to support, and he's always there to work, and he's always there to strengthen in the midst of it. God allows us to walk through those things. And for Paul, he was being inflicted with, with this thorn in the flesh. And, and he shares in this passage, we're going to find three benefits from your weaknesses. It'll help you find strength and weakness. So what are some benefits of, of weaknesses? Well, number one, your weaknesses keep you humble. Your weaknesses keep you humble. That's one of the challenges that Paul dealt with Con, concerning the Corinthian believers. There were other leaders. They had come in, and they were all about boasting. They were all about boasting about their strength. They were all about boasting about what they could do. In fact, many commentaries suggest that they would even come in and boast that they were better speakers than the Apostle Paul, that they had more contact, and, and they had actually been around Jesus, and he just had a revelation. He hadn't really been around Jesus and had that revelation that we've had, and, and they were boasting about who they were and about their strengths, and, and that was one of the problems. If you read at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you see all of this about boasting. We're going to get into it in a moment. But they were, that was the thing to do was to boast, and they would discredit Paul. In fact, according to Richard Ward, the group of itinerant, itinerant missionaries who had come to Corinth in the 50s, not 1950s, the 50s like the, the, like the, the real 50s, you know, like from, from a, B.C. to A.D. 50s, C.E. 50s. That's what I'm talking about. They came, they attacked his credentials on many fronts. Perhaps the most devastating charge is a personal attack on his ability to communicate the gospel. That was a common thing. In fact, boasting was a common thing. In the, in the, in the culture in which they lived, boasting was, was something that you did. According to Timothy Keller, he writes this, In ancient times, boasting was a ritual before you engaged in battle. Boasting was a ritual part of warfare in ancient times. Now think about this. How do you get a group of guys, a group of soldiers to charge with all of their might uh, and all of their passion to certain death? You got to kind of get them excited and hype them up, right? That's kind of what football teams do, right? If anybody watched the Buckeyes game. I think there was a little video, you know, of Ryan Day getting in the middle. He's hyping up the guys before they take on Indiana who they blew out, which was really nice. I wish the Browns would learn something like that. Just saying. Anyway, anyway, the general of some sort, he boasts to the soldiers. This is how he kind of pumped them up. This is some of the, some of the things that he might say. He would, might say, you know what? Tonight, the king's head is going to be on my spear by the end of the night. And they'd all go, roar, yeah, right? You know, the, this boasting that would go on, uh, you know, and it would, it would be around all kinds of things, Anglo-Saxon and Mandarin and Greek versions, and basically, we're going to wipe the floor with you. It was, it was kind of a, a smack talk, and it would rile everybody up, and they would boast about what they were going to do, and boast about what makes them look good and what makes the other people look bad. In fact, the whole idea about these ritual boasts was to declare, we can do it. Look at our power, look at our might, look at our strength, look what we can do, we're strong enough, we're enough, we can do it. And God says that's the problem. 
The problem is that every human heart has a tendency to boast. Every human heart has a tendency to get puffed up, to to take a look at our beauty or take a look at our smarts or take a look at our athletic ability and how, how good we are, how cunning we are, how wise we are, how much money we've made, our achievements. And we say, I did that. We say, I can take credit for that. I earned this by, my, by myself. Look at my bank account. Look at my business. Who's to say God did that? I did that. I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. He may have given me the ability, but it was done because of me. You see, the human heart has a tendency to boast. The human heart and its nature has a tendency to take credit for things and leave out the blessing and the hand of God. The human heart wants to be puffed up. Every single soul makes its boast in something. If you have money, you, you like to say, look at the money that I have. If you have might or athletic prowess, you, you look to say, oh, look how strong I am. Or if you're beautiful, look how beautiful I am. Or if you're good at school, look how smart I am. We have a tendency to kind of make our, our boast, and, and we, we, we do that because we say, well, look at me. I have this. I'm worthy of applause. I'm, I'm worthy of attention. I'm worthy of appreciation. Pat me on the back. Look at me. Celebrate me. Clap me out. I deserve a ribbon, too. Corinthian church, that's, that's, these leaders were boasting. They have a tendency of every human heart to boast. And Paul takes a different approach. He could have boasted about his position. He could have boasted about his accomplishments. He, he could have boasted as someone who really has given his life to serve the Lord. And in fact, in, 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 in a way in which he, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he kind of does this, but he does it kind of mockingly. Sometimes you might miss that, but what he's doing is he kind of does it kind of mockingly. Let's look at that. Let's flip back just one chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 22. He, he says this. They're boasting. He says, I can boast too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Talking about pedigree. Well, we're children of Abraham. That's what that means. We ought to be blessed. We're children of Abraham. Paul says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more, been whipped, time, uh, whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five times, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys and I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, uh, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in cities, in deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Do you know there's such a thing? right? But I'm not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul says, what boast? What are you boasting about? I can boast too. 
I can boast too. Look at all I've been through. Look what I've done for Christ. Look, am I, 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 I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. Look at me. Look what I've been through. And at the end of it, look at, I have a, even a daily burden. My concern, the daily burden for all of the churches, all of those ways. But then he says this in verse 30. If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Paul turns it around. And here he begins to understand and chooses a path of humility and a path that elevates Christ and elevates Christ's power working in him and through his weakness rather than to boast about his strength. And what helped him get to this place? Well, it was the thorn in the flesh. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. That sounds like Job, right? A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. The, the thorn was, to, was there to, to hold him back, to keep him from putting too much trust, too much faith in his own ability, in his own pedigree, in his own wisdom, in his own accomplishments. Those weaknesses are reminders that he needed to depend on the power of God rather than depend on himself. And, and he, he turns it around. He reframes the trouble so that he can begin to see the benefit that comes from it. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons that we can learn when it comes to finding strength, when we're facing things over and over again that seem to be weaknesses and out of control, is to begin to reframe those things and see them through the lens and purpose that God has. And God had a purpose in the thorn. In the thorn, God had a purpose in it. And the purpose in it was to bring Paul to a place where although it was painful, he could see that it was working for his good. And friends, although circumstances in our lives might be painful and difficult and God may not take them away, they are not without purpose in our lives. God has a purpose. For Paul, it was to keep him humble. It was to, it was to keep him from becoming proud. But secondly, it was also a purpose that drew him closer to God. Do you know your weaknesses draw you closer to God. Our weaknesses draw us closer to God. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, he says, to take it away. And yet the Lord said to him this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Notice, it says he pleaded three times for the Lord to take it away. You know what that is? That's prayer. Yeah, persistence and prayer, isn't it? How many know when things are going well, when life is good, when I'm not facing any problems, when my job is good, when my family is good, when I, the bills are all getting paid and things are going well, how many know that that's the times when I, maybe I don't pray as often as I should? Maybe I just kind of slip into enjoying the good things that have been provided and sometimes maybe even slip into thinking, man, I deserve these things. Look how well this is going. Man, I deserve to live like this. And I think it's so easy at times when things are going well to, to, to sometimes put God and our relationship with God on a shelf. We can begin to, to not, not make fellowship with the body of Christ a priority, not, not coming together in worship a priority. Oh, I can miss here. I can do this. I can. It's so easy to slip away, but 
Oh, let the hard times come. Let something happen in which we are out of control. Let something come into our lives that becomes challenging and difficult. And I don't know about you, but I know that a lot of people at that point just get down on their knees. Going back 20 years, when 9-11 hit, churches were full. When there's a problem, people run back to church. When there's a problem, people run to God. When there's a problem, we get down on our knees. And we should. And God oftentimes will allow challenging circumstances, thorns and difficulties to come when he wants to woo us and draw us back to saying, don't think you're anything big there, big shot. (laughs) You need me. God desires relationship with us. Thorns and painful circumstances have a way of drawing us closer to God. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So since then, uh, since we have a great high priest who has entered the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We are invited to get close to God. God desires closeness in our relationship with him. God desires for us to move in close, to get in close, to come close to his heart. God desires that for us. And if it seems as if we are getting too comfortable because life is just going so well, he just may let a little thorn inflict in our lives to remind us that we need to draw closer to him. Thorns have purpose. They draw us closer to the Lord. There's an invitation when we are weak and facing testing to draw near the throne of God and to receive the mercy and help and find grace when we need it. When Paul drew near, the answer that he received from God was not, let me take it away. It was my grace is sufficient for you. I know sometimes when we draw near to God, we don't always like the answer. Right? We don't always like the answer. He says, my grace is sufficient. Warren Wearsby writes this, there is never a shortage of God's grace. If God's grace is sufficient to save us, surely it's sufficient to, to keep us and strengthen us in our time of suffering. How many know that the grace of God is a strengthening grace? That when you're going through things, the grace of God is a strengthening grace. God's grace will strengthen you when you are weak. God's grace will strengthen you when you need it. God's grace is the strength that you need. My power is being made perfect in your weakness. It is a being. It is a continuous thing. There is a strengthening grace. You know, oftentimes in this life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, oftentimes as a follower of of Jesus Christ, we, we get many blessings through transformation. We get blessings through transformation, not substitution. Let me explain what I mean. Transformation and substitution. Paul began to pray. How did Paul pray? Take it away. Remove this thorn from me. Take it away. Won't you take it away? Take it away. You know what that's called? substitution. Take it away and give me something else. Take away the pain. Take away the thorn and give me peace. Take, give me deliverance. Give me health instead of sickness. Deliverance from, from pain instead of weakness. Sometimes 
sometimes God meets the need with substitution. How many of you know I believe in a God who meets the need with substitution? I believe in a God who can heal. I believe in a God who can, who can deliver. I believe in a God who parts the Red Sea, who opens the, the ears of the deaf, who opens the eyes of the blind, who makes the lame to walk, and who raises the dead. I believe in a God who, who is a God of substitution. But I also know that in Scripture there is a God who sometimes through these painful things doesn't bring substitution. Through these things, he brings transformation. He doesn't remove the affliction, but he gives us more grace in the affliction to work for us and not against us. Paul prayed for the problem, and and what did God do? God gave him deeper insight. When he drew near to God and he began to pray, he learned that the thorn in his flesh was actually a gift from God and not a curse. He learned that the weakness was not something to complain about, but rather something to boast in. Because through that, God was keeping him humble so that God's glory may abound and so that others might be able to see Jesus through it. Paul was able to accept this gift Because he began to reframe, the more he got closer to God, the more he learned, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me, substitution, substitute it for something else. But you see, our transformation would not have come had God allowed there to be substitution, but rather God brought transformation through the cross and Jesus' obedience. You see, when we draw near to God, we begin to align our will with God's will. We might want something, but God wants something else. And oftentimes, it's through the times of the thorns and the times of the weakness that as we draw near to God, we pray for substitution. What we really find is transformation as God begins to align our heart with His. Our heart with His. We experience this. P.T. Forsyth wrote this. It is a greater thing to pray for pain's conversion than its removal. Paul won the victory not by substitution, but by transformation. You see, in whatever you're going through, whatever the weakness is, whatever the thorn is, whatever the difficulty is, let me tell you something. God's got you. God's got whatever you need. He he has what you need. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I have what's needed. I am enough. I am enough. What I give you is enough. I what what I have for you is enough. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 4:19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God has what you need. He has what you need. God did not give Paul an explanation. He didn't explain everything. He didn't give him an explanation. He gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. Parents, how many times you just don't give your kids an explanation? It's just, trust me, because I said so. Because you don't love them? No, because you want them to trust your heart. Friends, God wants us to trust his heart. He doesn't always give us an explanation, but he does give us a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. Friends, we don't live on explanations. Warren Wearsby said this, I love it. He wrote this in his commentary. I'm like, I want to I 
put this out all over the place. You, you might need to write this down somewhere. We do not live on explanations. We live on promises. Our feelings change, but God's promises never change. Promises generate faith, and faith strengthens hope. Isn't that good? It's, it, if you have the app, you can do the app notes, and it's there. Then you can copy it and paste it and put it wherever you want to put it, because it's really good. And you might need to put it on your refrigerator or on your mirror and say, God doesn't always give me explanations, but he gives me promises, and I can trust his promises, because his word says promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so I might not get an explanation. I might not get an understanding. I might know, not know all the details and know everything that God knows because he's omniscient, but I do know this. My God is a promise keeper. My God will do what he says, and although he didn't give me an explanation he did give me a promise and I'm going to hang on to his promise in my weakness you see that brings us to the third benefit and that is this your weaknesses invite God's power my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses of the Christ power twice the word power may what Rest on me. Rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. The power of God resting on us. The power of God resting on us. When does it rest on us? It doesn't rest on us when we assert our own strength, when we assert our own wisdom, when we assert our own ability, when we, we assert our own, our, own, our own power. We boast about our own strength. We boast about, I can do it. I don't need to rely on God. It's me. I can do it. I begin to take things on my own. I can do that. I can take care of that. God, give me that back. I'm going to take care of that. God, I, you're not doing it the way I want you to. I'm going to take it back and I'm going to do it. And he he says, no, no, power doesn't rest in strength. My power rests on you in weakness. In weakness, there is something powerful about giving up. There's something powerful about surrender. There's something powerful about saying, God, I'm going to trust you in this. God, I'm going to align my heart with you in this. God, I'm going to begin to, to let you work in me. I'm feeling really weak right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you work within me. I'm going to learn how to delight in the weaknesses, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the insults. I'm going to learn how to, how to delight rather than despair. I'm not going to despair about my weaknesses. I'm not going to get discouraged about the weak areas in my life. I'm not going to despair and, and get all down about those things. I'm going to learn how to delight in them. Because in there, that's when I begin to see your power rest and I begin to see your power work because your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. I'm gonna delight in you. I'm gonna delight in you. I'm not gonna despair. I'm not gonna get down. I'm not gonna get depressed. I'm gonna learn how to delight in the weakness because it's there that I see your power at work and rest. Come on. 1 Peter 5.10, our God is the God of all grace. Acts 20.32, the word of God is the word of grace. James 4.6 tells us that when we need grace, he gives it more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He gives more grace. No matter how much we look at it, how much way we look at it, God is adequate to meet the need. 
God is adequate to meet the need, and God wants to lift you up. Worship team, will you come? We're going we're gonna to close, and I, I want to just close with a story. In 1995, there, during the, the Twin Cities Marathon, that's up in, in Minnesota, the, the Twin Cities, uh, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, they have a marathon. In that marathon, they, in, they invite people who are in wheelchairs as well. That, that's open, and they will do the, the marathon in wheelchairs. It's been a tradition. But back in 1995, there was a participant in a wheelchair. And as he's coming, he's about five blocks from the finish line when all of a sudden he gets a blowout in one of his tires. And so he's riding on the rim, and he's just muscling himself and his strength just to, he wants to get to the finish line, and so he's muscling himself to get to the finish line, and then all of a sudden, the wheel itself, the frame of the wheel under the pressure without having the, the tube of the tire on there anymore, all of a sudden begins to cripple and crunch under the weight, and he goes down. And along the sidelines, there are those that are watching, and they rush out, and they begin to lift up that side of the wheelchair, and he begins to, to, to go again with their help as they're literally holding him up so that he can cross the finish line. Friends, when you don't have the strength, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes, and he begins to lift us up. He, he comes, and he lifts us up. And, and we're doing what we can. And he says, I'm, I'm going to help carry you across the, the, the finish line. I, I'm going I'm to take you to victory. I'm, I'm going to get you there to victory. See, Paul accepted his afflictions. He, he not only accepted them, but he gloried in them. He learned how to delight in them. Because in those, he began to see the power of God rest and the power of God get up underneath and the power of God do things that he could never do in his strength. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your thorn is. By the way, the word thorn, and somehow I missed it in my notes, Paul's a tent maker. It's really not like a little sliver. It's not like you, you, know, you, you pricked your finger and you got a little, you know, sliver in your finger, a little splinter. The word is actually tent stake. When you think of thorn, I, when I think of thorn, sometimes I think of a prickly little bush. Ooh, I'm walking through and oh, it snagged my clothes. Oh, ouch, that hurt. I got one stuck in my sleeve and now it, you know, pricked me. That's, we're talking about a tent stake. Torment. And I don't know what's tormenting you. I don't know what's keeping you up at night that you can't sleep. I don't know what continues to come up over and over again and and you just find, man, I, every time I, I just keep failing at this. And, oh, man, I just keep struggling in this. And, God, I'm praying. And why aren't you bringing the substitution? God, why aren't you changing this? God, why aren't you bringing the answer? And whatever that thorn is, I want you to know that, that, that Jesus' message to you today is my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Whatever it is that you're battling and struggling and God hasn't removed, perhaps God wants to transform. Rather than substitute, maybe he wants to transform something in you or in someone else as they watch you in the midst of the struggle, learn how to lean and rest on the grace and the power of God. There is a power in testimony, and sometimes it comes because God removes and brings substitution, and a miracle happens, but oftentimes the greater testimony comes when people begin to see you resting and leaning into the power of God in the midst of your weakness. 
So today, I want to pray for you. I want to close with a time of prayer. And if you're struggling today and you're just really going through some things, I want to pray for God's power to rest on you. I want to invite you just to begin to release that to the Lord and ask the Lord. And if he brings substitution and miracles today, I believe for that. I want God to do that. If he wants to do that today, may his power be at work to answer prayer and do that. But if it's about transformation today, may we learn your grace is sufficient for me. And maybe today the miracle is in turning my despair to delight turning my discouragement into delighting in the Lord and experiencing his encouragement and his strength and his power and his grace in your life. So let's pray today. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm really going through it. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you want to just be open in the comments and say, I'm going through it. I need, I need a touch from the Lord. I need his grace today. I need his strength today. And that's you today. Will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. And whatever you're going through or in the comments, will you just let us know and we'll include you as we begin to pray and pray for you today. I need it right now. Come on, I need it. I'm going through something and I need prayer. I'm going through something and, the, and I'm struggling with the weakness and I need prayer. Jesus, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you that today there is encouragement in your word. That God, you, 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 Lord, have grace that is sufficient for whatever we're going through. Whatever we're facing, whatever you allow to happen in our lives, whatever the weakness that we are dealing with, whatever the struggle, God, today we choose to surrender to you. Not rely on our own power, not rely on, on our own strength, but God, we turn to you today and we ask, Lord, for you to be at work. And if substitution is your will and your desire, then God, let it be. Bring a miracle, bring a breakthrough, bring a deliverance, bring a healing. Move in the name of Jesus. But if there's transformation, there's a refocus and to see a different purpose, to see a different work, then God, today we surrender and we say, let your power rest on us. We boast in our weakness. This is our weakness. Oh God, we, we want to turn our despair and discouragement to delight in you, delighting in your promises. We don't understand because we don't get the explanation, but we do get the promise and we hang on to your promises today. Let your power rest. Let your encouragement come. Let your spirit begin to move and may we see your power at work in our weakness today. Father, we love you today. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Will you just stand? And if you need prayer today, will you come? We're going we're gonna to just worship the Lord today. Will you begin to do that as you worship the Lord? Will you begin to look up? Let God's power rest. If you need prayer, there are those that will come and they'll pray with you this morning. Will you come and let us just begin to pray with you today? Will you come and, and just let us begin just to, just to pray with you today? Come on. We're just going to sing that song, Waymaker. How many of you know God is a waymaker, isn't he? Come on. He's a promise keeper. Come on. He's a promise keeper. He's a waymaker. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, 
about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.